You know, the, as we start today, um, I was just reminded that today's passage is Second Samuel chapter 9. Uh, and we're going to be looking specifically uh, at this account of David showing God's chesed, his loving kindness, his mercy, and his goodness to the house of Saul, the house of Jonathan. And as we think about that, I, I, want, I just want you to start today as, as we actually get to the text and really focus here now with all, the, with all the confusion behind us. I want you to think for a moment and try to get someone in your mind and in your heart that has been faithful to you. Someone who's been faithful in fulfilling, if they promised something, they were there. Someone who has shown you mercy. Someone who's shown you grace. Someone who's come alongside when you had need and cared for your need. Anyone got someone? Meets one of the, one or two of those? Um, you know, I, I'm not going to name anyone by name, but, you know, in recent years, as I've gone through a pretty dark uh, season of my life, there are many of you sitting here that demonstrated that to me. And I will forever be grateful that I not only know God's love for me, but I experience God's love through you. And coming alongside, encouraging, meals, taking out, just taking out to eat, to talk, to see how I'm doing. Uh, we, all, we all most likely had people in our lives that just come, came alongside, they loved us, they cared for us, they demonstrated faithfulness, love, mercy, grace, all the things that we pray and we look into God's word, we see are what God extends towards us. When we experience that with a person who's there with us, representing God in our lives in that moment, it's a very special thing. Uh, and, and the account that we're looking at today reminds us of this. I, I know some of you, you've heard me preach enough that you know I don't typically throw out a lot of Greek and Hebrew words. I try not to. I, I do my own study and, don't, and then I bring you what's in English. Um, but I have shared multiple times that my favorite Hebrew word is the word that's at the center of today's story. And that's God's chesed. You got to say it like you're trying to spit at someone. Um, it's uh, from the back of your throat. His chesed is, is what in the old King James would be translated loving kindness. Or sometimes it's translated mercy, grace, God's love, his goodness. There's a sense, though, when we look at all of the scriptures that talk about uh, God's chesed, is, is that it also carries a sense of faithfulness. It's covenant loyalty. That when we think about Israel's story and we realize that Israel again and again demonstrated they were unfaithful, and yet God continued to be faithful. That was a picture of his loving kindness, his covenant faithfulness, his mercy and his grace towards his people. And, and we see this demonstrated in today's text. And what we're going to do is just walk through Second Samuel 9 and, and walk through the story and reflect upon this and, and hopefully come away from in our own lives with a greater understanding of God's loving kindness, his mercy, his grace, and his faithfulness toward us so that then we can embrace that and go out and extend that to others. But let's go ahead and start in verse 1. 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 3. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, 
And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Just a pause. If you've been walking with us the last few weeks, or if you've been walking through Mission 119 and been walk, reading through First and Second Samuel, uh, we, we, we last left David last week in his being anointed to be king, but Saul was still on the throne. We've skipped way ahead. This is now David has not only been put on the throne, he is now king. Saul and his son Jonathan, who was, was David's closest companion and friend, are both dead. David has set up his throne, and all of the external threats and internal threats have been addressed. And David remembers that he has promises that he's made to Jonathan and to Saul that the line of their house would be cared for. While Saul and Jonathan would not be king and their line would not be king, kings, David made the promise to both of them in earlier passages that, that he would care for them. So David is, in these verses, it's setting up the, the, David and showing his faithfulness to fulfill that promise to Jonathan and to Saul. And so he, he finds this servant, Ziba, and, and, and asks, is there anyone? And it's significant. Anytime there's something repeated, Pastor Steve and I both have highlighted this. Anytime when you're reading a passage and something is repeated, it's significant. And so both in verse 1 and then in the question made to, from David to Ziba is the question of, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? But in the repetition, it's not just kindness, it's the kindness of God too. And Ziba tells the king, Saul's servant, says they're still the son of Jonathan, is crippled in his feet. And if you go back, that this is a really sad story and that he wasn't born with this issue. Um, the account actually tells us that when the word came that Saul and Jonathan had died, his nursemaid had tried to run to safety and care, taking him to safety and, and dropped him in the process. And that's where his injury came. So this is the account. Saul, David is being faithful, fulfilling his promise, and we're being introduced to this man, we don't know his name yet, that the son of Jonathan, who is crippled in his feet, and he is the one who David is going to show kindness toward. Let's pick up in verse 4. It says, verse 4, the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. Did you catch another repetition here? In the same way that when Ziba, Saul's servant, came, in that account, David asked, are you Ziba? And, and the reply from Ziba, did you catch it, was, I'm your servant. Here, David declares, it's not a question, he makes a declaration, he, he addresses him by name, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth's response is, behold, I am your servant. There's, there's something happening here. This is, this is someone addressing the king. 
And if you know the reading through your Old Testament, look at the book of Esther and other places, we know that you don't just walk in to address the king. There's, there's, there's a protocol that they have to follow. And, and that protocol is happening here. And, and you have this picture of Jonathan's son coming, falling on his face, and paying homage. He's literally bowing before David. And, and, and with, with the deformity that he has in his feet, you can only imagine that this is probably a challenge for him to get down into this position. But he's recognizing who David is. He bows, he pays homage, and David looks at him and tell, calls him by name, and, and his response is, I am your servant. Verse 7, it goes on. It says, And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of, your, of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? You know, I don't, that's not a phrase we typically use very often. We, we see this in other places in scripture where it's used as an insult. In, in making an insult to someone else, calling them a dead dog. Here, Mephibosheth is actually declaring that himself. He's, he's kind of abasing himself and in, in, in embracing humility and saying when he hears that God, through David, is going to not only show him kindness, that he's going to restore all the land of his grandfather Saul and, and that, that he's being invited to eat at the king's table, a privilege that he would have had and had up until having to run away and be in exile. When he hears all that David is to do to him, he's like, basically saying, who am I? Who am I that you would show such kindness to your servant? For for a dead dog such as I. Verse 9 continues. It says, And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and, and to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson, And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. And now he was lame in both his feet. Now in this account, you see not only does David make those specific promises of of restoring Saul's land, inviting uh, Mephibosheth to eat at his table, but he's he's put in charge Ziba and, and all of his family, who were the servants of Saul, to care for the land, to farm the land, so that Mephibosheth and his descendants would be cared for. It's it's an incredible picture because you realize what's emphasized both at the beginning and the, at the end of this account is that Mephibosheth would not have been able to work the field himself. So you see it. While I believe David would have honored his promises to Jonathan and to Saul anyways, what you see in emphasizing Mephibosheth's physical condition is just his desperate need that David is caring for. 
And, and, and this, the theme or the scene I have in my mind is the story of the Good Samaritan. Because you remember in the story of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan not only cared for the immediate need, but he left money with the intaker and said, if there's any other need, take care of it. And if there's any further charge, I'll take care of it when I can return. That's the picture here is, is, that, is that David is not only caring for the immediate need, he's setting things up in a very real way. He's setting up his estate to make sure that he, Mephibosheth and his family would be cared for. When we look at this account and we look at this passage, we're given an incredible picture of God's loving kindness, his chesed to us. It's, it's a picture of, of that we tend to, when we read the translations, we tend to focus on his love and we focus on his mercy, and that's part of it. But it's important that we, what we see in this account reflects also what Israel experienced in, in the idea of receiving God's chesed is that God is always loyal to his promises. He's always loyal to his covenant with his people. While we may fall short, and Israel clearly, if you read of all of Israel's history, fell short, God is faithful. Nehemiah 9.17 in talking about Israel, says they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. That, that, I love those verses that were stated by the prophet Nehemiah because it pulls all those themes together. Israel is, is not walking in, in the way that God has called them to walk. And, 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 and the text says that they're, they're, leak, they're seeking to return to slavery in Egypt. But the, halfway through those verse, that verse, the key word is but. You see Israel's faithlessness, but then you see God's faithfulness. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. You know, as a little bit of a Bible uh, lesson, too, in the sense of how to study the Bible, we mentioned a moment ago, and Pastor Steve, I know, mentioned this in recent weeks, too, is when there's something repeated that's key that you have to look at. But I, I've always found a power in, in when you're reading through the text when you see a contrast made. And that contrast stands clearly in this verse of Israel's unfaithfulness and God's faithfulness. That little word, three-letter word, but, is so significant in this passage. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Wherever you're at today and whatever you might be going through, uh, or maybe some of the things that came to your mind when I asked you to think about the people that demonstrated grace and forgiveness and God's goodness to you, we realize that there, there are moments in our life where we fall short, where we fail, where we are in need of God's grace and his mercy. That's part of the Christian life. It's the foundation of the Christian life. 
Christianity is not about walking with God in such a way that somehow we get it all together and that somehow later and as we grow in our relationship with Jesus that we don't need God's grace and mercy down the road. There's an old song by Charlie Peacock, one of my favorite musicians, that line that, I can't remember the specific line of the, the song that it's from, but it was always one of my favorite lines of one of his music or his songs was that I'm still a man in need of a savior. I think it was in the light. BC Talk did it later. That idea that I'm still a man in need of a savior is the foundation of what it means to walk in grace and mercy. Is that It's not just about entering into a relationship with God, but the whole foundation of a relationship with God is being dependent upon his grace and his mercy because nothing we can do can earn it. We are to grow in our walk with the Lord. We're to grow in holiness. We're to become more and more like Jesus, and yet we're always in need of his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness. So it's this picture we see David. David is showing his faithfulness. Remember, he's made promises to Saul. He's made promises to Jonathan. He's fulfilling those promises. David is demonstrating that aspect of God's chesed, his covenant faithfulness, in fulfilling his promises to Saul's household. But he's also demonstrated incredible kindness and mercy, and compassion, and goodness. You know, I think it's human nature sometimes, if, if something's going to cost us something, that we might do the bare minimum in fulfilling, that, fulfilling a promise to someone. And again, like g- connecting again to the story of the Good Samaritan, how often are we in situations where we get, we're motivated to care for someone, to demonstrate God's kindness towards someone, and we think, well, what do, what's the bare minimum I need to do? Good Samaritan did much more than the bare minimum. He went above and beyond to make sure that the man who was left for dead on the side of the road was cared for. David went away above and beyond, fulfilling his promise to Jonathan and to Saul. He demonstrates not only a promise to, to, to fulfill his promises to Saul's household, but he demonstrates the goodness of God, the mercy of God. And and I think about that. It's like, you know, what if we started every day? If we, every every one of us started every day going out into the world and as we we pray and, and we spend time with the Lord each morning and say, God, show me who I can show your goodness to today. I think that might change our perspective. You know, the reality is there's not a lot of kindness in the world today. Actually, I think I see a lot of the opposite of kindness, of mercy and grace. I mean, y'all, be, to be totally honest, I'd be off Facebook in a heartbeat if I didn't feel I had to be on it because of the nonsense, the lack of the lack of empathy toward one another, the the lack of um, kindness toward those who maybe we disagree with. God has demonstrated his chesed, his loving kindness, his faithfulness, his mercy, and his goodness toward us. And, and he calls us to offer that to others. And yet too often Christians, instead of being known of people who have been transformed by God's love and mercy and grace, we're known by our judgment, our lack of love. 
our nastiness. I firmly believe that if that's ever going to change, we have to have a renewed experience of God's love and mercy in our own heart and our own life where we understand it's not about me, it's about God and his love and his grace toward me, and I need to extend that love and mercy toward others. There's a lot of other New Testament passages we could look at that reinforce that same truth. In the unmerciful servant, Go and look at it. We don't have time for it this morning, but the, the, the idea that the, the, the servant who receives mercy is expected to extend mercy. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray for God to forgive us our trespasses or debts, depending on what your translation is, as we what? As we forgive those who trespass against us. How we receive God's grace and his mercy is supposed to be extended to those around us. My prayer for all of us today is that we take the time to experience God's love, be reminded of God's love for us, and start examining how we approach each day. Do we take each day with that approach to say, God, who can I show? Yes, David was fulfilling a specific promise. We understand that. But that request, that idea to say, well, who can I show your love and your, your goodness to today? I believe that could transform not only the people that you bless, but it could transform your heart and your life. You know, when we look at this story, though, we, we've so far focused on David and his actions. But did you catch again Mephibosheth's actions? When, when he comes, his initial response is recognizing he's before the king. He he's, bows before him in, in, in a position of recognizing David's authority over him. But that's, that's really a biblical picture of worship. That idea of bowing down. We, in our tradition, we don't have the, the kneeling rail or, or the, that's not something that we typically would do in our public service. And yet, what we see throughout the scriptures is the idea of worship being a place of physically recognizing God's authority over our lives and bowing our hearts and our lives before him. We see that again and again. And, and that's reflected in Mephibosheth's actions towards David. Not only in recognizing David as king, but then later when he receives the promise from David of all the goodness that he's about to pour out on him. His response is humility and worship. And and he gives us a picture of how we respond to God. When When we recognize who God is and what God has done for us the only reasonable response that we have is to, to offer our lives in response to, to wor- in worship to him. And when you look at the issue of humility, Mephibosheth acknowledges he's unworthy of everything David is doing. Now, he could have made the case, yeah, you did promise. You promised my dad. You promised my grandfather. And, and yet, he understands David, David is going way beyond in showing loving kindness and mercy towards him. And, and as, he's, as he's approaching this, he's, he, he's recognizing that. And there's a humility in his response. In, in his response and say, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Think of Paul's own description. Paul, who referred to the churches that he wrote as saints, also referred to his own life as being the chief of sinners. Paul understood that when we are in Christ and Christ is in us, that we are saints. 
We are holy. We are set apart. And yet there's a consistent theme throughout the scriptures that Paul never loses sight of who he was apart from Jesus. And I think that's what keeps us humble. When I've seen people demonstrate spiritual pride, it's typically when it's, they, it's like God saved them and then they become the best blessing in the world to everyone else. And I, like there's this failure to understand that's like, no, you, you're still a man or woman in need of a savior. No matter how much Jesus does in your heart and your life, no matter how much you grow in sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, we're all, when we really look at our hearts and our lives, it's like what the prophet Isaiah says, our best, our righteousness is like filthy rags. We're all dependent upon God's love, his faithfulness, his goodness toward us. Ephesians 2.8 says, it's for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Just in case you don't, and Paul's like, and just in case you don't understand the first statement he makes, that it's by grace you've been saved through faith. He says, it's not of your own doing. It's a gift. When we understand what God has done for us, it leads us to a place of surrender. I believe that the true Christian life should always be a life of humility. Micah 6 8 tells us that what the Lord requires for us is to seek justice, do to show mercy, seek justice, and walk humbly before the Lord. Humility is something that I often see or don't see when I see the nastiness or the lack of kindness and goodness toward other people. We need to recognize our own brokenness, our own need of a Savior each day receive that gift and, and offer our lives and lives of worship, embracing what Romans 12, 1 tells us. Again, we've quote, I've quoted this probably more than any of the verse in, in any of the messages I've preached in this church. Romans 12, 1 is looking back of everything that Paul has said in Romans chapters 1 through 11, of everything Jesus has done for us. And he says in verse 12, or verse 1 of chapter 12, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, Therefore, looking back, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In short, when we look at everything Jesus has done for us, the only reasonable response, the only, the only way we can truly respond to that is to offer our lives and to surrender. Surrender to God's love and his grace toward us and surrender to his leading and his reign in our lives. It's my prayer today that we would have a renewed sense of God's love for us, his goodness, his mercy, and his grace toward us, that we would embrace a humble posture and in how we approach others and that we show that same love and grace and faithfulness to other people. And all of this is, is an expression of our worship to our Savior. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the, this story. We thank you for, Lord, the reminder of your faithfulness. We see in David's actions, uh, Lord, the, the reminder of, of your loving, faithful, loving kindness, your faithfulness toward us. 
we see David going above and beyond, and it reminds us, Lord, of just how much you've poured out your blessing upon us. Lord, we celebrate your grace and your mercy. And I just pray that today, that as we uh, conclude this service, Lord, that, that as we continue in our worship, Lord, that, that you would just move in our hearts and our lives, Lord, give us a, a greater picture and, a, and not only understanding of your grace and your mercy toward us, but may we experience your loving kindness, the depth of your love in, in a greater degree, even in this moment, that our hearts might be transformed and that we can go out bearing witness to you, that we would be known by the love that we have for you and the love we have for others. Lord, may we as Christians be known by our love for one another and for the world. For this in Jesus' name.